Once more, welcome to everyone, all of you joining us by video, overflow folks, God bless you, welcome to you. Open your Bibles first to the Gospel of John, beginning a new message series entitled Living Word, Living Word. I want to take a few weeks, a few messages here, and simply talk about the doctrine of Scripture. We're going to talk about the Bible and about what Christians believe about the Bible, but most importantly, how the Bible is to function and work in your lives, in, in my life too. John chapter 1 is where we'll begin. As a, as, as a pastor, a person devoted to teaching and preaching the Word of God, I sometimes get a little bit depressed uh, walking around in the world, uh, mostly because of the way the Bible is used and talked about it. And honestly, even today in United States culture, there's still a lot of, of Bible talk. You just almost can't get away from it. It's a part of our culture. People make regular references to stories in Scripture, even people who don't even realize they're talking about Scripture. It's still amazing how much the Bible is a part of our culture. However, that doesn't necessarily encourage me because I feel like we are, for the most part, in the middle of a culture uh, of people who never read the Bible, really don't have the foggiest notion of what's in it. And unfortunately, this is the painful part. I feel like a lot of people who go to church, and I'm not speaking about all of you or any of you in particular, it's just that my hunch is even people who go to church don't really read their Bibles. Uh, and again, I, I pray that I'm more wrong there than, than perhaps I fear, but, but I have a feeling that a lot of you even don't read your Bibles very often. I, I go through the line at Walmart on Mondays when I buy groceries, and they're at the checkout uh, stand. They're those little bitty books, and if you ever see those, they're always kind of uh, funny and creepy. Um, but those little books often are biblical books, and, and, and that's what always gets me going. Uh, because it's always um, the, the, the secrets of the Bible kinds of things. Uh, what the Bible really teaches, you know, kinds of things. You ever seen those little books? Or, or even the, the National Enquirer, those kind of gossip magazines will often have Bible stories. What the Bible really says about alien abductions. You know what I'm talking about? That sort of thing. The Bible's secrets for weight loss. Yeah, what's that about? I read an article this past week about what the Bible really teaches about Democrats. Yeah, I did. You know what the article said, by the way? That if you vote for a Democrat and then you die, you go straight to hell. Yeah, I read that this week. That's unfortunately serious. Um, and that alarms me. It alarms me because obviously people think they can tell you anything. That's the assumption, that you can say that anything is in the Bible because honestly people don't know. If you tell them that the Bible has secrets about alien abduction, they believe that. Why would they believe that? Because they don't read it. They don't read it. If somebody else reads it and says, you know it talks about alien, you know it talks about weight loss in there, you say, Really? Yeah, there was at Walmart at one time a little book that had recipes from the Bible. Oh, really? What are you making exactly? One of the recipes was for heifer fondue. Really? In here. A recipe for heifer fondue? The, the, the little book, Secrets of the Bible, recipe secret, said that's what they had when the prodigal son came home. Really? Fondue. As I say, the assumption is you can say anything is in the Bible because nobody reads it. You can say that anybody who votes for a Democrat will go to hell, and I guess some people will vote Republican. 
thinking that it's in here, but too lazy to go and look for themselves. And that's the horrible part. There is a stubborn kind of laziness about people, and even Christian people. We would listen to what somebody says, even if what they say is absolute hooey. We will listen to what they say rather than pick up a Bible and read it for ourselves. It's why I want to bring the church, bring our congregation back to the Word, back to the Word of God. If for any reason, that the habit of reading your Bible, if for any reason you yourself have lived your life letting other people tell you what's in it, but, but you've never ever picked it up and read it for yourself, I want to bring you to the place where you are ready to pick it up and read it for yourself. And let's start in John chapter 1. We're talking about what the Bible is today. The message this morning is entitled, What Can We Know About God? What can we know about God? And we're going to start in John chapter 1. In John chapter 1, there's this incredible hymn. It's kind of a poem about Christ. And in the middle of that are are, are inserted some verses about John the baptizer. I'm going to skip over the John the baptizer verses. I love John. But for the sake of clarity and for you understanding exactly what this scripture says about Jesus, I'm going to skip a verse here and there, and I will always let you know when I'm doing it. The verses I'm going to jump over are the verses that stop and talk about John the baptizer. But start with me in verse 1 and listen to what the Bible says about Jesus. John chapter 1. In the beginning, the, say the word, word. In the beginning, the word already existed. The word was with God, and the word was God. He existed in the beginning with God. God created everything through him, and nothing was created except through him. The word gave life to everything that was created, and his life brought light to everyone. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness can never extinguish it. Verse 10. He came into the very world he created, but the world didn't recognize him. He came to his own people, and even they rejected him. But to all who believed him and accepted him, he gave the right to become children of God. They are reborn, not with a physical birth resulting from human passion or plan, but a birth that comes from God. So the Word became human. It became flesh. The Word became flesh and made His home among us. He was full of unfailing love and faithfulness, and we have seen His glory, the glory of the Father's one and only Son. Verse 16. From his abundance we have all received one gracious blessing after another. For the law was given through Moses, but God's unfailing love and faithfulness came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, but the unique one who is himself God is near to the Father's heart. He has revealed God. Take your seats. He has revealed God to us. Take out your order of worship. There's a scripture printed here. You can turn in your Bibles where it's right here. Isaiah chapter 55, verses 8 and 9. Let's go back to the Old Testament and remind one another what this verse says. 
Isaiah chapter 55, 8 and 9. Read this with me from the order here. My thoughts are completely different from yours, says the Lord. And my ways are far beyond anything you could imagine. For just as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. Isaiah chapter 55. We're talking about God here, and God himself says that that just as my thoughts are beyond your thoughts, my ways are beyond your ways, as far as the heavens are from the earth. Stop and think about that. God is trying to help you understand that you can never truly understand him, because his ways, his thoughts are so far beyond you, so far beyond In 1961, uh, the very first human being ever to go into outer space made uh, the the first trip into orbit. His name was, remember it? Uh, He's Russian, not the first man on the moon, but the first man to ever be in outer space. His name was Yuri Gagarin, Russian, Yuri Gagarin. Yuri Gagarin is most famous for a quote attributed to him. When Yuri Gagarin, the Russian cosmonaut, who first went into outer space, he was reported that he said what? I did not see God up there. That's what it said that he said. I did not see God uh, up there. Actually, if you want to know the truth, Yuri Gagarin never said that. He never said that. Nikita Khrushchev said that. He said that when Yuri Gagarin went to space, he did not see God up there. But but I'm telling you, Yuri Gagarin never said that. Now, I'll also say I don't think he saw God in in the way that you may think that that quote says. Again, I don't even know what you think when you hear those words. but, But you need to understand something. First off, Yuri Gagarin was a devoted Christian. Even Russian, he was a devoted Christian who shortly after he returned from outer space, he had his daughter baptized. So please don't take Nikita Khrushchev's words literally. It's more complicated than that. But what did Nikita Khrushchev mean when he said Yuri Gagarin didn't see God up there? Do you really think he was going to? I mean, do you think you're going to get in a rocket and, and find God sitting out there on an asteroid, maybe, you know, sipping lemonade and watching the world go by? I mean, do, do you really, is that your picture of God that somehow we'll, we'll get in a rocket or, or some sort of spaceship and we're going to go visit him? You see, this is the point. This is what the scripture's trying to make you understand. You, you, you really don't understand how big this God is. It, it's not sinking in for you. This God we're talking about, the the word that's frequently used is transcendent. Transcends. It means he's bigger. He's he's wider. He is so far beyond everything that you can possibly conceive. You can't think your way to this God. As a matter of fact, God is is essentially unknowable. I'm going to say more, but understand that. You, You really can't fathom him. If we're talking about scripture, this passage from Isaiah that says, as far as the heavens are from the earth, understand The prophet Isaiah is speaking truth inspired by the Holy Spirit. We're going to talk a lot about that in the next few weeks. But that means that sometimes they speak truths that that are even beyond their own understanding because, because God is speaking through them. So when Isaiah says, as far as the heavens are from the earth, understand, he has no idea. He has no idea how far the heavens are from the earth. Understand, we don't have much of an idea either, but we've got a, we've got a better idea than Isaiah did, perhaps. 
Now stop and, and, and think with me. Those of you who are science geeks, you, you, you may love this. You'll also watch me butcher science here, but, but go with me. How big is the universe? Do we have any idea? N- not really. But in order to measure distance in the universe, it's so vast, it's so amazing, we have to develop a whole other system of measurement. And in the universe, in scientific terms, the unit of measurement in outer space is called the, the light year. Yeah, that's not just like Buzz's last name. It's a unit of measurement that scientists use to talk about outer space because it's so vast. So what is a light year? A light year is the distance that light, your science teachers would be so disappointed in you, it's the distance that light, which is the fastest thing in creation, it's the distance that light travels in a year. Now that's amazing to think of light traveling, because when you turn on the light, you see the light instantly, and that's the point. The, the speed of light is absolutely amazing. It's 186,000 miles a Second, light travels at 186,000 miles a second. The only thing I've seen close to that speed is like, is like your toddler on Kool-Aid kind of speed. 186,000 miles a second. Now that's the speed of light, 186,000 miles in a second. So what is a light year? Do the math. If light travels at 186,000 miles a second, then in one minute, light travels how far? About 11 million miles. Okay? Is that sinking in? 11 million miles in a minute, which means that in a single day, light can travel 160 billion miles. Okay, that's in a day. 160 billion miles in a day. So a light year, the distance that light travels in a year, one year, is 5,865,696,000,000 miles in a year. Okay? 5 trillion, nearly 6 trillion miles. That's how far light travels in a year. Okay? That's one light year. If that's one light year then how vast do they think the universe is? If we could get to the outer edge of the universe, how far would that be, approximately? They think maybe 15.5 billion light years. 15.5 billion light years. And because the universe is expanding and because the light we're looking at is 15.5 billion years old, they think that perhaps the outer edge of the universe is something like 45 billion light years away. Okay, can, 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 you, can you absorb that? We're talking about 45 billion times, you know, 6 trillion. I mean, it gets crazy. It just gets crazy. Your mind can't even conceive of the vastness of the universe. And so when the scripture says, so far as the heavens are from the earth, you understand? God says, that's how far beyond your ways my ways are. That's how far beyond your thoughts my thoughts are. We're talking about, you know, something like 45 billion light years. You understand? That's the distance between your little bitty mind, your itty bitty thoughts, and God's greatness. It's that kind of distance. It's absolutely unfathomable. I said that with too many syllables, didn't I? Unfathomable. Unsayable, too. God is so great. God is so big. God is so far beyond our thinking. 
Now, this is very important for you to understand for everything else that follows. God is great. God is vast. God's majesty, God's brilliance, God's power. It's so far beyond anything you can imagine. The universe seems just unthinkably vast to us. But you understand? It's nothing to God. It's nothing to God. He fills it. He's outside it. He's inside it. It's nothing to him. He spoke it into existence. You cannot imagine this God. You can't conceive of this God. He is so far beyond you. Your words, your brain, there's nothing about you that can contain this God. Do you understand that? So when I say, what exactly can we know about God? Understand in the first place, the answer is just, it's almost nothing. There's just almost nothing we can know about him because he's beyond knowing. He's beyond our knowing. It would be like my trying to go out to my pond out back and somehow make friends with an amoeba. I mean, how would we even begin to make contact? I'm so much more vast than that amoeba, that one-celled organism in my pond. I mean, and you understand, I'm closer to that amoeba than, than God is to me. Do you see? He's so far beyond us. So far beyond how could we even begin to know anything about him? He's unknowable. Except for one thing. And this is the next thing you really need to understand. God wants us to know him. He wants us to know him. God does not want to be hidden from us. He is so vast and so far beyond us. He transcends everything about human existence. At the same time, he wants us to know him. He wants you to know him. He wants you to know that he loves you. And so God understands God wants to reveal himself to us. And only God can reveal God to us. You can't think your way to him. You're not going to watch a special on the History Channel and therefore understand him. Do you see? The only thing we can know about God is what God reveals. God reveals himself to us. Because only God can reveal God to us. So what has he done? This is where John chapter 1 comes in. This is the most amazing thing. I'm now talking about the doctrine of Scripture. So understand this fundamental truth, fundamental truth from Scripture, that when God wanted us to understand him, when God wanted to reveal himself to us, he did not send a book. Are you listening to me? When God wanted to give us a full revelation of himself, he didn't send a book. He sent Jesus. He sent his son. That's fundamental. That, that, that's fundamental. When in the Gospel of John it says, in the beginning was the Word. We're not talking about a book. We're talking about a person. We're talking about Jesus himself. And the Scripture makes incredible claims about Christ. In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God. And the Word was God. Jesus is God. It's a fundamental principle of our faith that Jesus is from all eternity God. He was with God and he was God. It gets so complicated. Again, we're talking about a God that our words can't even describe, our minds can't even conceive. So, of course, it gets complex. But God wants us to understand, so he sends his son. He sends Jesus, and notice what the scripture says, verse 14. The word, Jesus, who was from all eternity God, the word became paper. 
No, the word became flesh. The word became human and made his home among us. He was full of unfailing love and faithfulness, and we have seen his glory, the glory of the Father's one and only Son. So when we talk about Jesus, we're talking about a human being, a person, but we're also at the very same time talking about God. Jesus is unique in this way. He's the only person that you can ever say was God in the flesh. Now understand, he's 100% human. He's completely human, just as you and I are human, but at the very same time, he is 100% divine. He was God. God in the flesh. So when God wanted to reveal himself to us, God stepped down. He, he, he bridged that expanse in the heavens. God came to us. He came down to us and became one of us. This is the fundamental fact of the Christian faith, that Jesus is God in the flesh, who came to reveal to us the Father. He came to reveal to us the Father. No one has ever seen God, verse 18, but the unique one who is himself God is near to the Father's heart, and he has revealed God to us. So understand, the fullest revelation of God is seen in Christ. It's Jesus Christ. He is the living word. Christ is God's word made flesh. So the fullest revelation, everything about our faith, it all goes back to Jesus. Everything goes back to Jesus. And, and Jesus is the one in whom we see the fullest revelation of God. Only God can reveal God to us, and he has done that by sending his son. So what's the Bible? What, what's the Bible? So happy you asked. Turn to 2 Timothy. 2 Timothy chapter 3. Second Timothy chapter 3. If Jesus is the fullest revelation of God, then, then what is the Bible? Let's talk about the Bible. There are many ways to describe the, the book, the Bible. There, there are many ways to uh, try to unpack its mystery. But, but let me begin with a simple definition of what the Bible is. It's, it's obviously a book, and, and, and we'll get to all of that. But just understand, I would say that the Bible is the Word of God. It is the Word of God in human words. The Word of God in human words. And there's a whole lot we could say about every single syllable in that definition, and I know some of you already don't like it, and some of you think it, whatever. I'm just telling you, I think it's plain that it's the Word of God in human words. That, that, that is a simple introductory definition of what the Bible is. But, but understand, the Bible itself doesn't talk a lot about itself. It, it doesn't point to itself. And that's the next thing you've really got to understand. Because Jesus is the fullest revelation of God, then the Bible doesn't point to itself. The Bible is more like a window 
through which you can see Christ. You understand? The Bible points to God. It points to Christ. Every page, every verse, everything points back to Christ. Christ is God's living word. Christ is the fullest revelation of God. It is Christ who makes the Father known to us. But the word of God points us to Jesus. And it continues to have incredible power. Notice what 2 Timothy chapter 3, let's start with verse 15. Paul's talking to Timothy, and this is what he says. You have been taught the holy scriptures from childhood, and they have given you wisdom to receive the salvation that comes by trusting in Christ Jesus. All scripture is inspired by God and is useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we are wrong and teaches us to do what is right. God uses it to prepare and equip his people to do every good work. That's one of the fullest verses in the Bible where the Bible talks about the Bible itself. And what does it say? First off, go to verse 16. Let's look at this word. All scripture is, say that word, inspired. All scripture is inspired. What does that mean? What does that mean? Scholars have argued about this. Wars have been fought about this. I'm I'm telling you, the the basic idea of, of all Scripture being inspired, you think that answers questions, but it raises questions for some people. What does it mean? Well, that Greek word inspired, it's an awesome word. It simply means God breathed. God breathed. All Scripture, the, the Bible, is God breathed. God breathed. I I love that. I love that because that kind of language takes me all the way back to the book of Genesis where God created Adam. Do you remember that? And God created Adam out of the dust. And then he had made the man out of dust. And then he did what? He he reached down and he he breathed into the man. And the man became a, a living soul. So scripture is the only thing in all creation that is God-breathed in in this way, perhaps, other than human beings. It's God-breathed. God puts his spirit, God puts his own breath into this book, which means this is a living book. This is not a dead book. The TV guide that you get every single week at Kroger, and it lays on your coffee table all week long so you can keep up with who's going to be on Dancing with the Stars. You understand, one week of that, it's a dead book. Honestly, it was a dead book when you bought it. Every book you can name, every other thing you can hold in your hand, it's dead. But the Bible is unique in all of creation because it's God-breathed. It's God-breathed. That means that there's, there's life to this book. There's light to this book. It's like nothing else in all creation. This is God's book. It's God's word in human words. It's, it's, it's God-breathed. Remember how I said that Jesus is the only one that you can say is all human and all divine at the same time. Well, the Bible you can understand in much the same way. On the one hand, there's a human story to, to tell about this book. It, it really is it's written by people. They're inspired by the Spirit, but, but people wrote it down in, in the languages that they spoke with the kind of punctuation and grammar that they understood. Sometimes in the Bible they write poems, sometimes they write genealogy, sometimes it's laws, but every single page of it, you see, is, is written by some human hand. It, it just is. 
And then beyond that, there's the story of how the the documents, the scrolls get passed on and saved and copied by people who would sit down and copy it word for word and pass it on through the centuries. You understand there's a long human story to tell about the Bible. I mean, beyond that, you know, my particular Bible, Lifeway printed it. And they glued it together very poorly. The things fall into pieces. You understand there's a human story to tell about this. But that's not the whole story. Do you understand? This isn't just a human book. You can't just tell the story of the Bible in terms of human authorship. you understand? The the very first principle of understanding the Bible is that it's God-breathed. In other words, it has its origin not at the publisher in Nashville. It has its origin not even in Matthew or, or John or Ezekiel who sit down to write the word of God. You understand? It goes all the way back to God himself. God breathed this book. He breathed this. All scripture is, is God breathed. This is God's book. It's God's word. Yeah, there's a human story, there's a human side to it, and we'll talk a lot about that. But understand, this is a divine book. It's God's word in human words. It's amazing. Now, you can divide and fight, and you can ask me questions about what that means, and I don't know much more than what I just said, to be honest. It's a mystery. It's a mystery. But honestly... I'm just not the pastor that's very interested in in, in all of those arguments. And and when I talk about the Bible in these messages, I'm not in those arguments. I'm not talking to other pastors. I'm not talking to the seminary. I'm talking to my congregation. I'm talking specifically to, to you people that I love. And I want you to love the Bible. I want you to accept and read and believe God's Word. So rather than talking about what it is and what all this means... Let's just stick with what the Bible says. The Bible doesn't talk a lot about its inspiration. It's assumed. It's just just there. It's revealed. It's God-breathed. Instead, the Bible talks about what it does. You understand? It's much more interested in your understanding what it's good for, what it does. And, And notice what Paul says. You've been taught the Holy Scriptures from childhood, and they have given you the wisdom to receive the salvation that comes by trusting in Christ Jesus. First off, what does the Scripture do? It makes us wise to salvation. It makes us wise into salvation. The Bible is not given us just so we get information. It's not like that. You don't have the Bible just so you can read it, and then you can blister the whole family in Bible trivia. That's not the point. It's not about information it's about salvation it's not about information it's about transformation God gives us his word so that we can become wise into salvation so that we can understand who Jesus is and so that we can experience the salvation that comes through him this book God's word in human words it points to Christ from beginning to end it's all pointing to Christ and it's pointing you towards salvation in him Now understand, the Bible is wise in other ways. It's wise in other ways. When it talks about money and economics, you can trust that. It's true. It's always true. It's God-breathed. But it is not primarily a financial manual. You can go ahead and tell Dave Ramsey I said so. It's not primarily a financial book. Lots of people want to fight about science and evolution. You can do all those fights, but it's not primarily a book that's meant to tell you about the origins of everything. When it speaks about that, it tells the truth, but it's not going to answer all your questions because that's not what it's for. 
It's written to make us wise into salvation. So if it's a little bit silent on alien abductions, you're just going to have to get over that. If you really can't find the real recipe for heifer fondue, you're just going to have to deal with that. Apparently, God didn't think you really needed fondue. But you need salvation. You need to know Jesus. And so from beginning to end, from cover to cover, this book is intended to make you wise unto salvation. The truth that it intends to convey is the truth that we find revealed fully in Christ. It's about Christ. So Paul says these scriptures that you've learned from childhood, they've given you wisdom to accept the salvation that comes in Christ Jesus. All scripture is God-breathed, and it's useful to teach us what is true, make us realize what's wrong in our lives, corrects us when we're wrong, and teaches us to do what is right. God uses it to prepare and equip his people to do every good work. I, I can't explain this to you. I can't explain the miracle and mystery of God's word. I, I just can't. I'm not even going to try. But I can take God's word and read the verses right off the page and I can tell you pretty plainly what it's for. What it's meant to do in your life. Because honestly, that's what matters. That's what matters most of all. It really doesn't matter what you believe about the Bible. Do you understand that? It doesn't matter what you claim for it. It doesn't matter how many arguments you can win at the seminary. It really doesn't matter what you believe about the Bible. What really matters is that you find salvation in Christ in the Bible. Do you understand that? What matters is that you find Christ. And then beyond that, what matters is that the Bible becomes what the Spirit uses in your life to train and sustain you to live the life that Christ wants you to live. That's what the Bible says. It's intended to train and sustain and maintain your life in Christ. Paul makes it plain. It's useful to teach us what is true. It's useful to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we're wrong and teaches us to do what's right. God uses it to prepare and equip his people to do every good work. Honestly, I'm not all that interested in, in what you say about the Bible or, 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 or what kind of arguments you want to have about its inspiration because the Bible doesn't get into those arguments. It just simply says that the, the Bible is, is God's word. God breathed for you. It's intended to point you to salvation in Christ. And when you find salvation in Christ, then the Bible is there for you. God has given it as a gift to you. It, it's wisdom and light and, and life for your life. The Bible is there to help you to know and hear from God. It's God's word in human words. You can hear him. You can come to know him. But by reading what the Bible says, that's what the Bible says. Beyond that, it's, it's there to correct your life. It's there to show you what the truth is so that you can find out what's wrong in your life and then you can learn how to do right. I mean, it's meant to transform the way you live. Now, you may read the Bible every single day of your life or maybe you listen to other people read it, but if, if your exposure to the Bible is not changing the way you live, then something's wrong with the way you're reading the Bible. It, it's transformation. 
I, I don't really care if you really understand the seven dispensations of biblical time. I'm more concerned, do you know what the Ten Commandments are? Do you know what God expects from you? Are you reading the Bible and then you alter your life to be changed by what God says you're supposed to live like? Do you understand? It's a mirror for you. It's about transformation. It's about God breathing life into these words so that it becomes his word. And then that word goes to work in your life. It works on you. It changes you. Beyond that, God uses it to prepare and equip his people to do what? Every good work. The Bible is intended to prepare and equip me. It's intended to energize me to go to work for God in the world. I mean, that's what the Bible does. And if the Bible doesn't somehow set your feet in motion, if reading the Bible doesn't get you ready to go out and do God's work in your family, in your marriage, at the place where you work, in the place where you go to school, I and mean, if the Bible doesn't equip you to do God's work, then there's something wrong. Because the Bible says that's what the Bible does. That's what the Bible's for. You understand? It's God's word. God's word in human words for sure, but, but it's, it's God's word. I don't really know how to explain it to you in any other words than that, other than to say beyond that, once you begin to read it, it, it goes to work. There's power, there's life, there's light in this book. It's, it's God's book. But, but one thing, one thing you have to understand, it, it, it doesn't work unless you read it. Are you listening to me? It does not work unless you read it. The fact that you have 12 Bibles at home, the fact that you've got a dusty one on your coffee table or a dusty one under your nightstand, you understand? The fact that you've got one on your iPad, you understand? It doesn't work if you don't read it. You have to read it. So read it. And let the Bible go to work in you. Pray with me. God, we thank you for your word. Lord, we hardly even understand the miracle of how it comes to us, Lord. It did not fall in leather-bound red letters out of heaven, Lord. It came through human hands. And, and the words in it are human and human language and human figures of speech. But... Every page, every syllable, every jot, every tittle is, is God-breathed. And that, Lord, is amazing to us, that, that you love us enough to give us your word. You love us enough to give us your word. So, God, help us to love you enough to read what you've given us. God, we good church people, we carry a Bible sometimes. We, we talk about the Bible. We love to argue sometimes, but, Lord... We confess a lot of us just don't read it. We haven't the foggiest idea what's in there. We just listen to what other people say, and then we decide to agree or disagree. Lord God, help us. You have given us your word. Now, Lord, may we give ourselves to the word that the word might transform us, that the word might point us to Christ Jesus, that the word might point out and correct our lives, and that the word might... <clears throat> 
equip us to do your work in the world. Oh, oh God, this is a living and active book. So, Lord, I pray that your word would get inside our hearts that we might be living and active for you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.